Have you ever thought about your rights and freedoms regarding your money and its impact by legislation from all levels of government? Welcome to the Information Edge with your host, Darren Yancey. Darren has over 40 years of experience in key sectors of the economy, and he's been knee-deep in politics for over a decade. He's going to get into detail on these sectors, the politics surrounding them, what they mean to you, and how you can protect yourself and be involved. Now, live from Texas, your host, Darren Yancey. All right, folks, happy hump day. We're in the middle of the week. Uh, I hope your skies are being as beautiful and blue as they are here in the great state of Texas right now because we've got wonderful weather. Spring is about to hit. Everything is getting green, which means we got to get on top of the weeds, get ready for the flowers, all of that good stuff. Now, We've not had a lot of opportunity on the show yet to address some of the different divisions that we cover, or sectors, I should say, on the show. One of them is we get into infrastructure. We talk a lot about transportation regard to trucking and some of the insights. And you might go, well, why do we discuss those things? Because without uh, proper infrastructure and proper trucking that move all the goods and services, we would not have the lifestyle that we have in the United States of America. Everything that was brought to you was brought to you by a trucker one way or the other. So they're very important. What we've seen over the last few years is we're seeing things called nuclear verdicts and lawsuits. And what a nuclear verdict is, is it's one that goes beyond the limits of insurance. uh, And it basically shocks the industry into, well, what went wrong? Why did it go wrong? And there's some things that have been happening for a number of years, but kind of hit an accelerator the last four or five years. Gentlemen, we have here today is Joseph Papillardo. He is with Gallagher Sharp. He's been a partner since 1987. He is a trial attorney. He represents both public, private companies. He does represent insurance carriers and individuals in cases involving injury, wrongful death, employer intentional torts, the whole nine yards. He kind of specializes, though, in trucking, automobiles, motorcycles, those areas in that are really pertinent to the show that we put forth and the information that we bring to you on this segment. So what we want to do today is go into what's called lawsuit financing. It's something that impacts these lawsuits. It's impacting their payouts. And believe it or not, that comes down through the ranks and hits your pocketbook. With that, Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks a bunch. It's uh, very nice of you to have me. I'm glad things have straightened out down there in Texas. Like I said, we're not freezing. We've got beautiful skies. Uh, You know, it's one of the great things about living in the state is we do get cold like everyone else. It just doesn't stay cold for that period of time. So, when we had the polar vortex, we definitely went beyond uh, our elasticity that we had stretched out. So, Joe, we, you and I, I had you on our, uh, our Friday show that we had with iHeart here a while back, and we got into this. What I'd like you to do is kind of walk through what is uh, lawsuit financing, how did it come about, and let's get into some examples, and, and then we'll talk about possible solutions later in the show. Okay, well, um, yeah, it's a real problem because it's something that, um, we're not, we haven't been used to. As a matter of fact, um, I'll get into this in more detail and I won't get too much in the weeds or clinical about this. Get but, as clinical uh, as you need. Don't worry well, about it. When we were all in law school, all of us um, fools that became lawyers. And by the way, when you mentioned uh, trucking, I represent the trucking companies and the drivers. I don't sue them. I'm against the guy, the uh, lawyers who do sue them. So I'm hopefully with your audience, I'm a good guy. But uh, anyways, litigation financing or litigation, third-party litigation funding, there's various ways of referring to it, is really a, a strange concept of uh, companies that are in business to invest 
in the lawsuits. They literally um, put, they pay the plaintiff, the person who's suing, they pay their medical bills uh, and, and they take that burden off of the plaintiffs, but they get an interest in the lawsuit. They literally invest in the lawsuit. And they send these people to a, a network of doctors that they have developed who will charge whatever and order whatever tests or whatever surgeries to increase the uh, amount of medical bills that the person who got injured, we call them a plaintiff or a claimant, mm -hmm. uh, puts into the lawsuit to, to get uh, a jury to award damages. And quite often we, we've learned and, and know that the amount of medical bills and surgeries and so forth is a indicator of what the uh, verdict's gonna be. The more medical bills, the more surgeries, the more procedures, the more the verdict is expected to be. So what these um, third-party litigation funding companies do is they take a look at the case, they decide if they're going to uh, invest in it, and they make it very clear that they intend to make a profit on this case. And that's so a big they, problem right there. Yeah, they actually say that. They're shameless about it. I mean, they're open about it. They say they expect to and, and deserve a profit. And so the... A uh, third-party investor um, makes an agreement with the claimant or the uh, plaintiff, the su person suing, and with the medical providers. And then um, they uh, have at it. The plaintiff gets all the treatment uh, that this company, this uh, medical provider, this doctor, chiropractor, whatever it is, who is in in league, in line with the litigation funding company. They choose the doctors and they send the plaintiffs to these doctors. And then they, um, they just build up the medical bills and then they pay, they act almost like an insurance company and they pay the doctor, the medical provider, what they would have pretty much gotten from insurance with the understanding that that medical provider will accept that because they want more cases or more patients from the litigation funding company. Feed, feed that treadmill. Yes. And, and so uh, the doctor is not going to say, well, I don't want to accept that. I want more because they want more cases. I mean, they make money on this. Right. They got to stay so, in business. Right. And it's, it's in the doctor's best interest to appease the investor to keep getting referrals, you see. So the investor's profit the third-party litigation company's profit is directly related to the amount and cost of the medical procedures because they have, they have an agreement with the plaintiff that they are entitled when the plaintiff has a settlement or a verdict to get the entire amount of the medical bills, not just what the doctor was paid. That's where the profit comes in. And so this has two effects. Number one, it builds up the medical bills, which as I just said, uh, is directly related in lawsuits to the amount of the uh, damages, the jury awards for pain and suffering, as well as the economic loss, because they argue that they can get into evidence and tell the jury, not the amount that was paid to the doctor, but the gross amount that was charged. So that's the first problem. The second problem is, that um, the plaintiff is, it, it, they owe this money. They sign an agreement to owe this total amount of money. So that 
absolutely interferes with settlements because a case that might have settled with lower medical bills, right. uh, the plaintiff might not be able to settle it because they owe so much back. And the investor, the third party litigation funder, might not agree to compromise what it is owed because remember, they want to make a profit. So let me ask you a question. Let's say now, do they still owe that money in the event that the case doesn't go to suit and settles for a lower amount or for, for whatever reason gets tossed out? Well, that's the whole thing. See, I, I would think, well, first of all, let me answer your first question. Uh, the plaintiff owes that money and they owe the total amount. So when, the, when it comes to pay the piper and they say, and let's just take, I don't know, let's take $500,000 as medical bills, the, mm-hmm. the gross amount, remember. Right. And, and the, and the uh, company, the litigation funding company has a sliding scale as to how much they're owed depending on how long the case goes on because money has time value, right? So right. the longer the case goes on, the more that the plaintiff owes. It becomes, like you said, a treadmill. So the plaintiff might say, well, wait a minute, I only got 400000 They say, too bad. You have to pay it all to us. And these are, if they're legally enforceable agreements, you can imagine that um, what a position the plaintiff has when they have buyer's remorse. Or so, if the case goes south, yeah. Yeah, or if the case goes south. Um, and there are provisions in some of these agreements for that, but they're, they're very heavily weighted towards the investor, the third-party litigation funding. The other thing is, I want to mention before I forget, which is that even if the plaintiff has insurance, medical insurance, they don't access that medical insurance. They don't turn these bills into the insurance company. They pretend that no insurance exists. Yeah, that's a problem too within the confines of liability law. Yeah, because um, you know if you turn if you turn medical bills into uh, your insurance company, they pay them at a much reduced rate, and mm-hmm. that becomes well, you've accessed your insurance, you've accessed that benefit, you know, you've taken advantage of that. But if you don't take advantage of your medical insurance, then everything is made up, you know, and, um, and, and this is good for the lawyers who do the suing, because they don't like to have the defense, the side I'm on say, well, here's what the actual bills were in states that allow that. Now, remember, there's no federal law. This is not federal law. Each state has different rules on this which we can get into later in terms of. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the mess that we have here. I can, one thing I can tell you, um, you know, cause I'm, I've, I've been on the insurance side for quite a while. Mm-hmm. I've gotten out of uh, trucking temporarily cause I'm running a managing general agency. We do a different line, but we're getting back into it. And I talk with everybody all the time. I know that the cost of settling claims is up over a hundred percent in the last five years, even if it settles. Soft tissue that might have settled for seventy five is now one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, the number of cases that are filed to go to suit are have just increased exponentially, and the other problem is the the awards. When it does go to suit, the awards are going up, which I, I can't for the life of me. Some of this is industry problem. The insurance industry is not tackling this fast enough from their end to get the claims in, to get the response out so these people don't have to go see a lawyer. So they have to they have to take on some of the responsibility. The other I've seen is I've seen claims adjusters, for lack of a better word, who are just flat out scared 
Um, they are intimidated by some of these lawyers. They don't know how to respond to some of the lawyers. Um, and when we come back from, we're fixing to take a break. When we come back from the break, I'll give you a specific example, and then we'll go on to some other stuff. Just as a reminder, folks, uh, this is the Information Edge podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Darren Yancey. This is a live show. If you want to call in, it's 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788 if you've got a question for myself or Joe uh, regarding this topic. And uh, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break, uh, listen to a station identification break and some sponsors, and we'll be right back. We've got Joe Papalerto with Gallagher Sharp talking about lawsuit financing. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleiner Hour, health, environment, and the power of water. Show host Sharon Kleiner interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleiner Hour is health from an environmental perspective. Your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to the Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right, folks. We are on the Zoom call today with Joe Papalerto of Gallagher Sharp talking about the topic of lawsuit financing. Now, by the way, the, the show is live. 866-472-5788. Pardon me if you'd like to be a part of the show. Have a general question. If you can't call in, you can email me, Darren at DarrenYancey.com, and we would be more than happy to entertain the question pertinent to today's topics. Now, Joe, I was giving you some some information I've got on the inside, and, and one of the things that we had, um, when these things started coming out about five years ago, they they started small and they got big, and then, of course, the Werner case was the one 
that really scared the living daylights out of that. And then we've had three or four since the Werner case that have been much larger um, in terms of what it going through. I talked with Century Insurance here. This is probably, this, this data is probably a year old. And we had them on and they were crunching the numbers of what the, what the lawsuits were costing the industry and what the pass down was coming through. And it was basically enough money where between lawsuits and, and, and the pass down the cost, where consumers were paying another $2,500 for goods and services because of what these lawsuits are doing. Because when, when you have these things pay out, there's an impact. And that impact is somebody passes that bill down the line. And so, have you seen anything where that data has gone up, stabilized? I don't think it's gone down. No, it, it's going up for sure. And uh, the Warner case um, is, uh, you know, well, there's more to it than meets the eye. I, right. I talked to both sides on it. Uh, but it, it was shocking because, of course, the vehicle came across the center line and hit the Warner truck head on. But there was a lot more to it. But still, it was dreadful, and it's still on appeal. Uh, that actually happened in Houston, I believe, and uh, or that verdict, not the uh, accident. It was See, in- the accident was in West Texas. How yeah. it ended up in Houston, uh, Harris County, I, it still blows me away. Yeah, well, because of Warner's, you know, they, they try and get, uh, that's called forum shopping. That's a whole other topic, but... Um, I think they messed up there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, of course we go back to, uh, we, I just had, uh, I was on, I would just, uh, watch the webinar with Christopher Darden, the, the lead along with Marshall Clark prosecutor of OJ Simpson. And if you remember, that was a criminal case, of course, but the, yep. the huge error in that case was that they filed it in downtown LA as opposed to where the, the murders happened, which was Westwood. So right. where the venue or where the, where the courthouse sits is uh, very important in, in all kinds of lawsuits. But anyhow, yeah, we, um, there have been a huge verdicts. There was one, believe it or not, in Muskogee County, Georgia, which is right down near Fort Benning. That was in August of 2019. That was $280 million for one. Yes. Death. Now that was a dreadful case. The, you know, bad facts make bad verdicts. And the truck driver was literally asleep and ran into an entire. Uh, yeah, I don't think there was any question of, of the liability. The question was, how did they come up with two hundred and eighty million dollars? I, I don't I don't know that. Well, I guess I, I kind of do. And the answer is that it had nothing to do with the actual accident. Right. They try, you know, they try the company. It's this whole reptile thing we've talked about. And mm-hmm. and they make they get the jury scared. Um, you're not allowed to say to a jury it's in any court, I don't believe, what would you do if this was your mother? What would you do if this was your child? You can't do that, but they do it in a different way. They, they go in and they say, what this company did and the way they conduct their business, this was bound to happen, and it puts everyone in this community at risk. You're all at risk, and the only way to prevent this is through your damages verdict. In other words, they tie in the damages to the conduct, not the actual injuries. So uh, that was 280 down near Fort Benning, Georgia, down there where Coca-Cola was invented. Right. You, know, you, you wouldn't think, right? So, uh, and, and to be honest with you, 100, 100 million of the 280 million was punitive, that is punishment damages. Okay. So, um, but, uh, and of course that was a death. So there wasn't any litigation funding and that trucking company did admit liability, but they kind of fudged on it. You know, you, if you admit liability in a case, just admit it and say, we're here to talk about what the law will, you don't say, well, we're at fault, but, 
So, I mean, I know the lawyer that defended that case. He's actually a retired general from the U.S. Army, believe it or not. The lawyer that was on the side of the trucking company, phenomenal lawyer. He got creamed um, and his client did. So it wasn't the, the quality of law of lawyering was not the issue in that case. Well, and that's something we've seen. We've seen communications coming in on, on from the insurance side where the, um, the, the, the plaintiff's Associ- plaintiff's Lawyers Association, for lack of a better word, and there is a specific one that's evading me on knowledge, yes. have basically developed a playbook, and it's focused on trucking. Yep. That's its main focus is on trucking, and the first thing that they're going to do, and if, if anybody is listening and you're in the trucking industry and you don't know this, dear God, call me, uh, is they go to their safety manual, and they want to look at what are they filed with for DOT, FMSCSA, for their safety regulations, and they they request a copy of them, and they read them. They also now they have the access to information from Safer Systems, which yep. is put out by the federal government, which right. is a form of various initiatives that you find out between uh, speeding tickets when they do inspections, if their their loads are off, all kinds of information, and they're taking these two, and they're going, okay, here's a profile of just what you said they do bad business or they say this is going to become bad business. That's, that's fear mongering 101. How, you know, if they haven't had these accidents, okay, it's, it's an accident. It's not a purpose. These companies are out there. There's a lot of things that are put on them by the federal government just to run an operation. Yes. People don't understand right now the onerous regulations that are on trucking. Right now, trucking is in, in a very, very serious, scary state that if we don't fix some things, there's a lot of people going to toss the keys at us and walk away. And then that's a whole nother set of problems. So my question is, is there anything that can be done um, to dissuade, you called it right, reptilian vipers. I mean, they're, they're trying to kill an industry. They'll sit there and look you in the face. And say, oh, no, we're trying to make it better. But that's not making it better. Um, well, the, the most... <laughs> The most obvious or most important thing that could be done is is to for the industry itself to kind of police bad trucking companies. There's a statistic right. I heard the other day that 45% of accidents or crashes um, are caused by 10% of the trucking companies. If you think Pretty about much. that, that's that is uh, staggering. Um, there's over 600,000 um, DOT uh, operating authority trucking companies. It's well over 600,000 now, I believe. Well, there's, only, there's over two and a half million drivers. Drivers, yes, it's true. Yeah. The companies are over 600,000 and they all have DOT numbers and they're all licensed maybe to operate. Um, so the most of the first thing is to, uh, for the industry to, to try and identify and discourage unsafe carriers. And there are some, there are many. But the other thing is you have to focus on, I I do a little um, song and dance on something I call the dirty five. There's five factors that I've identified and others, and you know, I'm not the only trucking lawyer in the world. There's a lot of us um, that that the other side focuses on. And you can kind of guess what they are, but the most, number one, numero uno is always fatigue. That is the one thing that people are terrified about tired truckers. And in and fact, they and they should. And, and in fact, in the um, case we mentioned in Georgia, 
that trucker fell asleep. It was almost um, almost for sure uh, that he did. At least the jury believed it. So fatigue is absolutely number one, and everything that can be done to keep truckers uh, rested and alert is um, is crucial. And a lot of that has to do with the hours of service regulations, but also in terms of scheduling and so forth. Um, you know, are these routes the proper routes? And there's a lot of resources available to, to trucking companies to plan routes, to have team drivers, to have re relief drivers, things like that. Number two um, is uh, distracted driving. Now, we all know that almost every trucking company says you can't use well, you can't. You you have to be hands free, even under the right, even under the regulations. Some companies supposedly prohibit any cell phone usage at all, but we all know that you know everyone uses their phone. I think if if they're hands free and and it comes within the regulation, you're a lot better off. But that has to be policed too, uh, which ties into something you probably don't like very much, or a lot of trucking companies don't truckers don't like, which is the drive cams. You know. The, the inward facing and the outward facing. A lot of truckers yeah. think, well, we don't want that because it's, it's invading my privacy. But it is one way to, to um, police this sort of thing. So distracted driving, of course, there could be never any texting whatsoever, no matter what. No, you, just, you can't have it. You can't, you can't text. And talking on the phone has to be hands-free. So that's distracted. Number three is drugs and alcohol. Now, um, a lot of people don't realize what a real big problem that, um, drug and alcohol usage is in this industry. Um, well, it has a lot to do with the lifestyle that you're leading, the hours on the road, away sure. from family. This is not the easiest thing in the world to do. People don't understand it. I couldn't do it. And yeah. I, you know, I love truck drivers and I respect them. And I talk to truck drivers every day of my life, just about. And um, I think the world of truck drivers, and most of them are really, really fine people, men and women alike. But, um, you know, this idea, I don't know if you knew this, but even the regulation allows you to be, as long as you're not 0.4 or above, you can drive. I don't know if you knew that. You can't use, you can't that, use while you're that, driving. That's not something that I publicize. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's right in the regulation. A lot of people might not know that. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, there has to be um, policing of drugs and alcohol. Um, number four is maintenance. And, you know, when things, when things are tight, and this is an across the, the, the spectrum of transportation. When things are tight, um, whether it's aviation or trucking or railroads, the, one of the first things to get cut is maintenance. But absolutely. that is absolutely crucial. And really, the only thing they have to do, I mean, you know, the regulations say that it has to be maintained properly and everyone has to be satisfied that it's safe. But really, there's only an annual inspection uh, of, of trucks. I mean, yeah. the maintenance part of the trucking industry is absolutely crucial because things can go wrong. Tires, brakes. And, and there's a big spectrum in the well-maintained and the, oh, my God, how did you get this out of the yard? So, um, and, and let me just finish the fifth one, and I'll tell you what I think can be done. Um well, I'll tell you what, we're about to take a break. We are. Wow, it's going yeah. fast. It goes fast. Hold off. We're going to come back to that fifth one uh, when we come back from break and kind of take a recap on that. All right, folks, you're listening to the Information Edge podcast. I'm Darren Yancey. Our special guest today is Joe Papalerto with Gallagher Sharp. You can call us at 866-472-5788. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to the Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back to the Information Edge podcast. Darren Yancey here with Joe Papalerto of Gallagher Sharp. We are knee-deep in the discussion of lawsuit financing, all of the things that it impacts. And at the end of the day... What you need to know is that this topic we're discussing hits your pocketbook and it hits it in a very aggressive manner. Now, Joe, we had to cut it off. You were going over the five topics uh, that you felt were important on how this stuff shakes out. Let's kind of give a quick recap and then give me your number one. Okay, fatigue, uh, tired truckers, and a couple of these giant verdicts, one in Upshur County, Texas, and one in Hidalgo County, Texas, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 260 and $80 million in, uh, respectively specifically involve fatigue. Yeah. Uh, so fatigue's number one. Number two, distracted, drive, distracted driving, uh, mainly cell and other uh, uses, uses of devices. Number three, uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, we have people are terrified that truck drivers might be under the influence. And there are, you know, some cases of that. Some cases number, there are. Number four, improper, poor uh, sk- scrimping on maintenance. Uh, you know, 80,000 pounds they can be, and uh, that's coming down the road at 70 or whatever miles an hour. So you can imagine people worrying about maintenance. And then number five really might be the, the one that no, people don't think about, but it's huge. And that is the hiring, retention, 
and training of drivers. There's, mm-hmm. we all know there's a, and we all hear about a driver shortage, but and these lawyers, they pick up on that and they say, this person never should have been behind the wheel. And if they were, you didn't train them properly. You say you do, but you don't use the Smith system or you don't use the National Safety Council system or any of that stuff. You say you do in your, what you were talking about, you say you do in your safety yeah. manuals, but you don't. You don't train these people. You, you ask them if they have a CDL, you run in a motor vehicle MVR on them and in the truck they go. And so then they get these safety experts who say, this is how the training should have gone. You know, some expert that's charging $300 an hour just to say that the, uh, that the training, the, the operation, all of this safety, um, all of these safety issues are inadequate. And that's why your husband's dead, ma'am, that type of thing. So training, retention, hiring of drivers is crucial, um, especially if they have an accident were they retrained? Were they um, talked to? Were they, did you do an investigation? People are terrified of, in, of uh, unqualified drivers, even though most of them are extremely qualified. Well, and see, here's, here's the problem that we've got. And I can tell you, insurance plays a part in this because you and I both know from an inside baseball standpoint that the major offenders are all some of the larger carriers out there, which represent a minority of the actual number of trucks on the road. But the problem you've got is when someone wants to get into the industry, if they go to school and they get their CDL, they can't just go out, even if they've got a truck, and buy an insurance policy that can afford, because until you've got two years under that CDL, uh, a lot of companies either won't insure you or the rate that they will insure you will take your breath away. So the option is they have to go to a Warner or a what we call a mega fleet, get involved in that a- aspect of it, get in their training program to go through mm-hmm. because by the time it hits, when a guy hits his third year in his CDL, that's when he goes and joins mom and pop trucking because he's got enough where they can afford to pull him on a policy and they don't go bankrupt. So it's a little bit of an, uh, of an, of an evil swing, but a lot of this is shifting to the only people that are going to take them in are the mega fleets because they're most of this, they're self-insured. They're putting a bond out there. They're not behind a policy so they can go afford to do this at the same time when they get those people in. And I cannot stress this to folks. Listen to this. It's not a lack of people wanting to get into the trucking industry. It is people getting tired of I'm, I'm getting out here on the road uh, two and three days at a time, a couple of thousand miles at a time. Sometimes can't get a shower. Maybe can't get a place to eat properly after you know where you park the rigs. They're, the pay is inadequate. The benefits are just absolutely abysmal. And they go, you know, I think I could go flip burgers and be happier. And that's the crux that we're at right now in American trucking. And if they do get to a point where they get to join mom and pop trucking company, they're getting squeezed on the amount of rate that they could make on that freight. So, what you hit is, I don't like the misnomer that's put out there that it's a driver shortage. It's not a driver shortage. It's a driver tired of being abused mm-hmm. and getting out of the industry issue. You, 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 I don't disagree with you. I think that there are, um, it's, it's a very tough life and a lot of people cannot handle being on the road so much and at least don't want that. And, um, you know, I, if you talk to the, um, my friends at OOIDA, the 
that's the owner operator independent drivers association they have always always talked about driver pay being really the main uh problem in this industry mm -hmm. and um i i agree with that i mean i think that for such a crucial industry as you mentioned if you got a truck brought it uh as well as how important they are to the safety of this country um the drivers should get really good pay but our priorities are all followed up and you know, it's what it is, and I can't. We can't solve that here, but um, I do agree that drivers are not treated properly, and and should be and should be treated better. Well, let me ask you a question. Let's say I'm 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 a safety director for trucking company X out here, and I I want to I want to avoid this. You're seeing the the end result. I'm seeing the end result, but you're in there fighting the legal trenches. What would you put out there as the number one thing of those? I mean, obviously, the, all those five things have to be addressed. Where would you put, here's number one that you've got to do in order first? Are you going to put out there compensation? You're going to put out there, make sure the safety safety manual meets standards. And then you mentioned, you mentioned a couple of standards and training. Um, should that be, I hate to use that, I just, I even hate to go here. Should that be something that the FMCSA should address? Because we know that there is no standard for getting a CDL. Nope. I have okay. to do just, just in case you folks didn't understand this, there is no standard by the federal authorities that regulate this on the number of hours that you have to have to get a commercial driver's license to get behind the wheel of a truck and drive down the road. We tried to get it and they fudged. I think they were going to come out with what, 26 or 30 hours? That was the topic. But yeah, for some reason, actually, it never happened. They actually delayed it by two years. Uh, that was for entry-level drivers, as you mentioned. And um, it's not going into effect until February of 2022. Okay, and so is it, it is going to go into effect, but it's been kicked down the road. My thoughts were they just they shelled it for further uh, research. Well, they're um, <laughs> uh, I maybe the same thing. We're not going to be political, but uh, yeah, there's there was a, a significant hostility to regulation and. Uh, recently, but now who knows? But anyways, yeah, they pushed it back until February 7th of 2022. And you're right, there are, um, they have to, they will um, certify training um, facilities. It's similar to the um, medical um, examiners, there'll be a national registry of training facilities and their, and their curriculum, you know, their, their case, or the, I'm sorry, their course study has to be approved. And then, of course, there's also a um, driving practical thing. But right now, there's no, there is nothing. And you're absolutely right. You you need more training to be a cosmetologist, and you know that's a fine field too. I'm not putting anyone down. Right. But, but you need more training to be yeah. a beautician or a cosmetologist than you do to be a truck driver. And and I have to put that I, I put that squarely at the at the uh, feet of the USDOT. This is not a new issue. Um, nope. It's it's simply gotten more complex as we've required more goods and services from the trucking industry. And this is the one thing I've had people on and, and we're going to pivot just a second uh, when we wrap up uh, into autonomous and some solutions, because the reality is if you want to fly a plane, you, you got to get a lot of hours yeah. before you get behind a jet. Now I'm not saying that, that a truck is a jet, but between a jet, a truck and a car, 
there's a little bit of difference in what the handling capabilities are, the stopping capacity, the weight, all kinds of stuff that I shouldn't be able to go in one weekend, get a CDL. I should have a set number of hours that should be out there. And if the feds aren't going to do it, then each DOT within each state needs to set their own. Now, this is my opinion, set their own standards. Okay. We want you to have 30, 40, whatever that is. If you're going to come through and drive through the great state of X. I agree. Um, You know, you don't even have to be a jet. You could be uh, flying a Cessna or a Piper, you know, 172 yeah. or something like that. And you have to have a significant amount of hours before you can solo and all that. So you're absolutely right. Um, I think that training, if I were to answer your question about a safety director, training and requiring um, trained drivers. And there's a lot of resources for drivers um, who can't afford uh, the, uh, the uh, schooling, although they, you know, I mean, that's, to me, it's just like anything else. You have to invest in your career. But, you know, there's a lot of programs out there for drivers to get schooling um, through community colleges and there's grants and so forth. But you're right. If it's not required, I just talked to a driver yesterday. Where did you go to the truck driving school? I didn't. I just studied the manual. I studied the CDL manual. I took the written test and then I took the practical. I took the driving test and I passed. I'm good at what, you know, I know how to ri- drive a truck. I've been doing this since I was 16 with my grandpa. Okay. Shake, shake that Cracker Jack box, <laughs> reach down and get that license. And so they give it to you. And um, the part 383 of the uh, federal regulations um, covers CDLs. And uh, it doesn't say a word about it. It just says you have to have one. Yeah, I, I, I just, you to this even, day, I You don't even that. have to have a road test when you, sign, when you go to a company if you can show them a CDL. And that's another problem. That's another problem right there. So these problems reach out and get into the drivers getting in. And then the question of whether or not the companies are correcting these issues, which, I mean, we can't use a broad brush and say that they're not training them because that's inadequate. That would be inaccurate, but somewhere something's getting missed. And the result is we've got these big accidents. We've got these big lawsuits. And now we got lawyers feasting on an industry. And I mean, feasting on an industry to a point people don't understand just you, you and I, we understand how fragile the industry is right now. Mm-hmm. If everybody truly knew, they would be running and they would be wiping out every store, every shelf and backing up because if trucks can't deliver it, there's nothing there. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Information Edge podcast. I'm your host, Darren Yancey. Our special guest today is Joe Papalero of Gallagher Sharp. You can call into the show when we get back at 866-472-5788. We're going to take a quick break. and We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel.
You are listening to The Information Edge with Darren Yancey. To reach the program today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to darren at darrenyancey.com. Now, back to The Information Edge. All right, folks, welcome back to the final segment of the Information Edge podcast. Cover a couple of quick housekeeping notes. If you want to follow me on social media, you can reach me at DGYancey65. I am on Gab, Parler, and Twitter, so it's kind of hard to miss me on all three of those. You can also go to my site, informationedge.net. has a lot of the show topics. All of the government sites that you can link down to that we have both on just general agencies, Congress, Uh, Your state agencies, the whole nine yards, it's a great resource site. Go to informationedge.net and be informed. All right. Our special guest is Joe Papaletto of Gallagher Sharp. We've been talking about lawsuit financing, its impact on trucking industry, and ultimately how it reaches you into your pocketbook. Now, Joe, I want to spend, as we wrap up here, right now there are big pushes being made in autonomous trucking, and the reason they're trying to do it it, it's it before as well. We're just going to see if we can make it happen to maybe move a little freight between, you know, the desert. Now it's full blown. We've now got the people in the USDOT saying autonomous is coming out to replace truckers uh, as far as drivers are concerned. I know my concerns. What are your concerns? Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a real, real strong technically, but it, it's almost impossible for me to believe that that there would ever be a time when there isn't someone behind the wheel of a truck, even if it's autonomous. I just, I can't imagine that. I mean, um, they, it, too much can go wrong, too much can happen. Uh, anything, you know, can, can go wrong. Well, let's, so let's, I, and let's bring that up. A lot of people don't understand because they think, oh, it's technology. It's wonderful. Well, first off, you're talking about displacing a lot of drivers and yeah. putting people in poverty. But let's set the poverty aside because we'll have to deal with that. I can tell you this. There is currently no insurance out there for anybody in the trucking industry to buy with autonomous vehicles. Having said that, because we're trying to launch one, we've been putting pricing models together. Okay. If someone says, Hey, I want to do a fleet of Kenworths or whatever, and we're going to be level five autonomous. I think those premiums are going to be somewhere between a hundred to $125,000 a truck. Oh boy. Okay. Somebody will come out and put a policy out with those type of premiums. Oh yeah. The insurance company, I mean, they'll, they'll insure anything. Yeah. I mean, so there, and here's the problem we see with it. First off, if you put that kind of money into a driver into paying benefits, you could eliminate an issue. Here's the problem I see, and I want you to comment on whether you feel it's a viable uh, argument or not. If they come out and they've got these autonomous rigs, it's not a matter of if they're going to go have a problem. It's a matter of when either they get hacked, you have a a software problem. Something's going to happen because it's going to happen in every testing case where this unit carrying 80,000 plus uh, pounds of weight becomes a wrecking ball and has a wreck and kills somebody. We've talked with judges who said, okay, who all is going to get sued? And the answer is everybody that's touched that truck. Yeah. Do you, do you agree with that? Sure, I do. I mean, it's not going to just be the trucking company. You're going to have product, what we call product liability against the manufacturer. Every component manufacturer that's involved. I mean, that's been going on forever. I, I cut my teeth in product liability, specifically aviation, airplane crashes. So, 
lawnmowers, snowmobiles, everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're, all it's going to do is increase the universe of defendants getting sued. Um, and, and, and things will go wrong. You know, we, you're right. That's not going to, you know, nobody can disagree with you. So the, I, I don't know what the future holds. And, you know, I mean, I know about Elon Musk, richest man in the world, depending what week it is and all that. And they, and they'll tell you that, you know, you're a fool. This is the future and it's going to happen and get out of the way. But somehow a truck without the driver or even, um, you know, however they're going to do it. It just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I know that's the basis of it. The argument is, and it goes back to what we talked about in driver. There's a driver shortage. Okay. Um, it's not really a driver shortage. We can get, I guarantee you if, the, if everybody's making 80 grand a year plus, plus benefits, plus reasonable time off, you're going to have all the people applying to become a truck driver that, that they can shake a stick at. So it's, it's not that, but there's a lot of unfunded mandates. One of the things that you hit on was fatigue. You know, I talk with a lot of drivers and I know you talk with a lot of drivers as well. The electronic logging device, although it was designed to make life easier, psychologically, what we're seeing is just the opposite. Hmm. They, they look at that ELD as a time clock. With us, they're now racing and it gets into, are they violating hours of service? contributes toward fatigue. These are issues with just one factor of technology right there. And I, I think I think ELDs may be more responsible for some of these accidents than we know yet. But if they start going down the road for autonomous, and let's say we get into a level three or four where a driver is just basically sitting there. He's not really doing anything. He's just there to keep, oh, well, there's a body inside that rig. We still have the same issues. If that if that thing gets wrecked, and then the, I, I mean I, I don't see the I don't see the plaintiffs bar industry going to sleep on that. I see them sharpening their knives, going, "Oh my God, that the calf just got fatter." Oh, absolutely. I mean, you if if um, whether even if there's autonomous, you have to have qualified drivers that can respond in a second and be alert and be completely uh, ready to go um, if something happens and. Uh, so I don't think that's going to change. And again, we go back to training. I mean, it's it's going to the technology is going to make the training more um, detailed, more uh, specific. But you're still, you know, there's no substitute for a well-trained, qualified driver. And I don't care what kind of rig they're in. But they're not. It's I, I cannot imagine. You know, maybe it's my age. I'm 65, but I cannot imagine not having truck drivers who are at the ready, ready to go, uh, even in an autonomous vehicle. But, you know, I'll never see it. So, Well, let's talk about uh, legislative affairs. First off, I don't think in, in the current congressional environment, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I don't see anything coming out on a federal level that's going to rein in lawsuit financing. Do you see that? Uh, I really don't. Uh, for some reason, the, uh, when there's, when the Democrats and the, and the, you know, they all have the, the people who do the suing call themselves trial lawyers, but to have a trial, you have to have a lawyer on both sides. So I'm a trial right. lawyer too. Yeah. I do the defending, not the suing. But for some reason, the, the, it's always been that the uh, plaintiff's lawyers, and many of them are my friends, I love them, but they've, they always contribute mightily to Democratic um, uh, candidates. So it just, I don't know, it's just a phenomenon. Um, but as far as legislation, 
The only way to get at these things is to find these litigation funding agreements to be invalid. And that generally is a state by state because contracting is a state by state thing. So like if, if more of these state legislatures or state Supreme Courts say, these things are absolutely invalid. You can't have people investing in a lawsuit. Um, in Ohio, the, uh, there's a beautiful um, quote, where was it, that said that, that a lawsuit is not something to gorge oneself on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's exactly words, what's happening. Here it is. Um, Speculating in lawsuits is prohibited by Ohio law. This is our Supreme Court of Ohio. An intermeddler, which is a neat word, is not permitted to gorge upon the fruits of litigation. So if there was more of that, in other words, these things should be found to be completely um, unenforceable because you are investing, you are buying into a lawsuit. And that was not, that was prohibited, believe it or not, by the old English common law that came across to the United States back in the uh, 1600s. So, so do you see more state legislatures getting aware of this, starting to put forth in uh, legislation, or are they still blind to the problem right now? Well, I don't know of many that are doing it, but I think that that's what's incumbent upon any kind of lobbying or uh, in interest groups, especially of uh, insurance companies. They really should start fight, fighting on this because it's wrong. It's wrong to buy your way into a lawsuit and profit off of it. And I think that should be a major, major initiative of insurance companies and defense and bar associations for lawyers, not just defense lawyers, but all lawyer bar associations should be fighting this. It's dreadful. It's it's awful. Have you seen any sample pieces of legislation uh, that you think would be acceptable to start pushing the states or um, is this, this ground, ground swell up and just whatever they can put together? Yeah, I haven't really seen legislation. Most of what I've seen is through the courts, is okay. through um, somebody challenging them, these uh, agreements. And a lot of that is uh, in, the, in the litigation stage, finding out about them, finding out all the details of them, taking the testimony of the people who, um, the people who create them, as well as the doctors, and finding out how much these doctors and these companies make on this thing, on these things. And if a judge will let you do that, that goes a long way towards uh, uh, snuffing them out, which they should be. Well, if you could, if you've got some case samples that you can send me, because there's some people I work with down in Austin uh, that put these kind of bills together. We had one in Texas two years ago. It kind of floundered, didn't get out. Um, there were some committees that specifically didn't want it to get out. And of course, this session, there's all kinds of hell breaking loose because of uh, the weather and all kinds and, and election integrity. Those are two big things. Mm-hmm. All right. I tell you what, we're, we're running out of time here. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'd like to touch base with you again in a few months because I think it's been great and uh, have you back on the show. You're all right for that? I'm, I'm good for that. If, uh, you know, God willing. And thank you for having me. I really enjoy doing this. I hope it was helpful to your audience. It is. All right, folks, you've been listening to the Information Edge podcast. I'm Darren Yancey. Our special guest today has been Joe Papaletto of Gallagher Sharp. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to us. Email me at darren at darrenyancey.com, and we'll be seeing you again next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Information Edge. Please join your host, Darren Yancey, again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Central, and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll have more to share then.